Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Root of BTN.com and this is a very special and unique episode of the Take 10 Podcast. Uh, it has its usual football coverage that we do during football season with some analysis from a national reporter, uh, some insight from our in-house researcher Harold Shelton. But the highlight of this episode, and I, I don't usually say this or put guests over others uh, in a hierarchy, but the highlight is unequivocally our first guest, and that is Tyler Trent, the Purdue student, not only student, but student reporter, who is suffering from osteosarcoma, a rare form of bone cancer, and um, he's been struggling with it enough that he had to be pulled out of school, and if you saw college football this weekend or, or watched ESPN, watched Purdue's game against Ohio State, then you most likely saw Tyler either on college game day or at the game during the game broadcast because he was heavily featured in his battle with osteosarcoma was uh, the main piece of a college game day feature by Tom Rinaldi and, and he was interviewed throughout the game and it was a story that really hit not only Big Ten fans, Purdue, Ohio State fans, but all college football fans and even beyond that it really transcended sports because it made it a Good Morning America. Tyler's story was something that captivated really everybody um, who came in contact with it. So Tyler was kind enough to give me about 15 to 20 minutes of his time on this show, which is a huge honor to have him on, especially, you know, with all the attention he's receiving now from pretty much every angle with, you know, Good Morning America, like I said, and all kinds of other sports obligations that he's, he's had to do. And he's done with extremely high amount of energy. I was uh, definitely blessed and honored to have him on this episode. So we have a discussion with Tyler about his experience the other night uh, in Purdue's upset over Ohio State and what that all meant to him. And and he kind of took us through the lead up to it and how he didn't think he was going to make it to West Lafayette to see that game in person. And he talked us through how he predicted Purdue's upset of Ohio State and the aftermath of, of what has been a remarkable week for a kid who is unfortunately in, in hospice care with terminal cancer. So um, we get into some tough topics with Tyler, but he handled it like a pro as he's handled everything else that's come his way. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, and I mentioned we do have some other guests on this show as well beyond Tyler Trent. We brought in Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, who is actually in studio in Chicago to do our BTN Big Ten and Beyond uh, football show. And Pete broke down, as we usually have in these weekly episodes, the National and Big Ten landscape in college football. A great 20-minute discussion with Pete. And this is the rare triple guest episode where we brought in Harold Shelton, as we always do, after our national reporter to break down Big Ten results by the numbers and look ahead to the upcoming weekend in Big Ten football. So just to recap real quick of what's ahead, we have Tyler Trent followed by Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports, and then Harold Shelton of BTN. So a jam-packed episode. Stay tuned for all of it. It's coming your way shortly. Before we get to Tyler Trent, quick message from our sponsor, the Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at SPS. Northwestern.edu slash sports. All right, now we will get to our first guest on this episode of the Take 10 podcast. As I mentioned at the top, it is Purdue student and student reporter 
Tyler Trent, star of this past weekend's upset uh, of Ohio State by the Boilermakers. He tells us all about his experience, walks us through it, and uh, as I said at the top, very privileged to talk to him. So I'll let Tyler take it away. It's BTN's interview with Tyler Trent. I'm honored to be joined by a Purdue student and sports writer who has captivated the entire country as his story of standing up to cancer has spread and inspired everyone uh, across the nation. It's Tyler Trent. Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time, and welcome back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course, and I really, really do appreciate you coming on the show because I'm sure your phone has been blowing up nonstop, especially since this past Saturday. Uh, how often has your phone been lighting up with notifications these past few days? <laughs> it's been pretty much nonstop. I don't... I've never experienced anything like it um, in my entire life. That's for sure. Um, there, are, I'm definitely there are moments that I'm thankful for the do not disturb feature on my, on my iPhone. That's for sure. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and just some background in case anyone listening isn't aware. Uh, Tyler's had multiple battles with a form of bone cancer called osteosarcoma since. Uh, he was a teenager, and along the way, he's formed a bond with Purdue sports programs he's followed so closely, especially the football program. And, you know, you're already well-known, especially regionally before last week, Tyler, but ESPN's College Game Day got a hold of your story and did a, a really incredible piece on your on your battle on Saturday. And in that piece, you predicted Purdue would upset Ohio State, and, of course, they did. So before we get to that amazing game and the upset you attended in the, in the special night in its entirety. My first question is, how did the ESPN folks at game day approach you and ask you to tell your story in that format? You know, that's a, that's a really cool, good question. Um, I'm not exactly sure um, how they actually got a hold of my story. I know it had gotten to the attention of one of their producers, and the producers have reached out to my dad, and kind of just from that had gotten in contact with my dad, and you know, had said, hey, we would love to do a piece on your son. And um, I was, you know, it's, it's it's a dream of, I think, pretty much any kid who grows up in the sports world to, to get on ESPN. And so I was absolutely all for that when when, I, when my dad told me that they wanted to come do a story um, on uh, kind of just, you know, some of the stuff I've been through. And, and so um, just really, really thankful for um, then uh, providing that platform and, um, and you know since then it's just kind of blown up it's been crazy yeah the piece was incredibly moving and and you know really hard to watch in certain in a, a certain sense just because uh, you know the struggle that was clearly evident that you were going through uh, in that piece so what was the process like of just filming that and having ESPN come to your home and having to uh, talk about your struggle for what would you knew it was going to be a, a nationwide audience. Yeah, so it definitely wasn't something that was easy. Um, I think anytime when you've been through something um, like a terminal illness, um, and I think I think sharing that is never never easy, especially when it when you know it is going to go before a nationwide audience. Um, and that weekend, I hadn't um, really felt well from a health perspective, um, which made things even more difficult because, uh, cause I was pretty, pretty drugged up honestly, uh, just to make it through the weekend, um, and to be able to film some of the stuff. Um, and so just, just really thankful uh, that the Lord was able to, uh, 
provide me with strength to make it through and to to be able to share um, with, with with the nation, kind of you know my battle and kind of bring awareness for pediatric cancer research. Yeah, and it's must-see stuff, and anyone who hasn't seen it definitely has to check it out. I'm sure it's on YouTube and social media. It's been everywhere on my timeline uh, these past few days. And, and Tom Rinaldi, the ESPN um, journalist who interviewed you and narrated the piece really well and really beautifully, said from Pullman, Washington, where game day was uh, Saturday morning, that you texted him right after that aired and said the plan to, Ohio- to attend the Ohio State game was still on. But on Friday, those plans were kind of in doubt for you, correct? They were, yeah. Uh, when I went to bed Friday night, uh, I was—I had no idea whether I was going to be able to make it to the game or not. I'm sorry, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's amazing because you know when I interviewed you back in March in New York, you'd had surgery very recently before that, and still kind of willed yourself to be there to cover the Big Ten tournament. And you know, once again, you showed that amazing resolve, persevering, and you've done it time and time again to attend Purdue sporting events. And then the, the whole world saw it on display this weekend, so. Where did that strength come from to, you know, like you said on Friday night, maybe not knowing if you're going to make it, turn around and get the will to make it to West Lafayette on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, my my one and only source of strength is as, is Jesus Christ um, in my life. And honestly, that's what keeps me going every single day. It's, it's just my faith in Him um, and just, just a reliance on Him and knowing that you know, his strength is enough to last me throughout the entire day. And so, um, I mean, that's, that's just um, really just uh, the only explanation I can give just in my ability to be able to make it to, to, to my stuff I have, uh, whether it be, you know, immediately after a surgery or, uh, you know, coming off a, a day full of puking. Um, so. Yeah, and you make it to the actual game and, and, you know, you look great when they show you on TV. You sounded great in the interviews that they did mid-game. Did you know ESPN was going to interview you during the game, um, like before you got to the game on Saturday? I did not. They actually had called us um, Saturday morning once they officially knew that I was going to be able to make it to the game and asked whether they could send a camera crew down from West Lafayette to follow us up to the game and to kind of do some interviews with us throughout the game and and so it wasn't until Saturday morning when after, you know, they had they knew for sure that I was going to be able to make it to the game that any of that was, was set in motion. Yeah, and Tom Rinaldi flew from game day in Washington to West Lafayette to that night game to interview, uh, which he did at, le- at least twice during the game. Were you nervous since, uh, you know, like, unlike the feature piece, which was pre-taped, this is live, this is in front of millions of people watching. You didn't look nervous at all. You killed the interview. But, but how were you feeling about uh, talking in front of a live audience like that? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I definitely was nervous to, to a certain point, but thankfully, um, just with some of the regional media exposure that I had received for my story, had you know, that's definitely kind of given me some practice in front of the media, and having worked in the media field uh, for a little bit, and knowing kind of what to expect from, from that aspect, kind of really just really helped. Uh, for sure, and then of course having my family around me and there to support me um, is all was is always encouraging and a support I think for anyone. So yeah, so as everyone knows, Purdue absolutely dismantled number two Ohio State Saturday night. You were front row to see it all. Your prediction came true that you predicted in the game day piece, 
at what moment in that game did you realize that Purdue was going to ultimately prove you right? Like, when did you know, all right, it's a wrap, they got this? <laughs> I think um, in, in true, typical Purdue fan fashion, I uh, really didn't start breathing normally until the clock hit zero, and, you know, I saw those the, the score finalized up on the scoreboard. Um, so I think it wasn't really until the clock hit zero that, that you know, I was confident that Purdue was going to win, honestly. So right before they cut to you for your second interview on the field, they were showing a ton of crowd shots, and, and everyone was confident Purdue was going to win. You know, the song Mo Bamba was playing, getting everyone hyped up, and then you came on for your interview, and it was just a surreal moment, honestly, to watch on TV. If you can reflect on that moment during the game when they came back to you for your second interview, can you just describe the atmosphere inside ross Stadium when you were down in the field and everyone kind of knew that this was probably going to happen? Um, I mean, it, it was... It's unreal. It, 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 uh, it's it's something that you really can't put into words, honestly. Um, I think it's one of the things that makes college football so incredibly great is the atmosphere um, and what keep, what keeps you coming back time and time again. What and what keeps you know seventy thousand people going to or wanting to go to a game because because they may have that you know, opportunity to experience the atmosphere. And so um, it was crazy, something that I will never forget, that's for sure. I, I think uh, something that we've kind of been talking about within my own family, too, is um, if you've unfortunately been touched by uh, a tr- uh, illness like cancer, you know, you're pe- people aware of, of Make-A-Wish and um, some of the amazing things that they do. They, they provide um, trips for kids who, who have... Um, illnesses such as cancer and other things and so I think we've been kind of almost been comparing it to a make-a-wish moment where um, like if there was something that you know you could give a kid you know in my position or you know um, make one wish come true it would be something like that moment yeah and your evening kind of followed the make-a-wish script I'm glad you brought that up because you got to go in the locker room and address the team. And you've, you know, become very familiar and close with the team, so this is nothing new for you. But addressing them after a win like that and having Jeff Brom turn the room over to you, can you describe that feeling and uh, what went into the message you delivered to the Boilermakers? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, definitely was not something I was expecting. I had actually been joking around with Brom earlier in the week. Uh, via text message saying, hey, if you need me to uh, give uh, a pep talk to the guys before the game, let me know. And so he <laughs> he actually took me up on it after the game. And so just being able to congratulate them and recognize them um, for some of the stuff that they had, you know, done because, you know, I may have had an impact from uh, – uh, I may have had a small impact on the game from my story – um, but, you know, they were the guys who were physically doing all the work out there. And so being able to recognize them and um, give them the recognition, recognition that they deserve uh, was uh, just something that was really, really special, something I'll never forget. Yeah, very cool to see uh, on social media and see play out as, as the aftermath of that game unfolded. So now that 
you're kind of in this uh, window of, of the post-celebratory you know, atmosphere of the win. You're doing the media circuits, making the rounds. This is definitely the lowest profile show you'll be on this week, I'm sure. And, and you've gained you know, tens of thousands of Twitter followers. Your stories reach Good Morning America. Are there any places you've been surprised to see your name pop up, like in the media? Or has anyone reached out to you these past few days that has surprised you when you saw it pop up on your phone? Yeah, uh, uh, when uh, I uh, when Adam Schefter reached out to me uh, and DM me and followed me, that was that was a pretty surreal moment because he he's got you know close to eight million followers on on Twitter, um, and you know anyone in the NFL world knows the name Adam Schefter, and so seeing him and having him reach out and saying just you know send me some encouraging words was was something that I was not expecting, and then. Um, Drew Brees also reached out and sent a really cool video to me. Um, and he's someone that, you know, if you're a Purdue fan, you know the name Drew Brees. Um, and so um, he's someone that I've looked up to my entire life and he is a role model in my life with someone uh, of and the example a man should be um, and what hard work, what hard work can get you. Um, even when you're told time and time again that uh, you're not good enough. And so just having him reach out and send some encouraging words my way was uh, really incredible and really touching. Yeah, I saw that uh, on Good Morning America yesterday. Really amazing to see. Um, and, and one of my favorite sports podcasts, the, the number one sports podcast by ratings in the country, uh, Pardon My Take, nominated you and you're voted on as the uh, football guy of the week. And it's obviously a, a prestigious award in uh, podcast circles. So did you, <laughs> did you see you won that? And are you planning on delivering an acceptance Speech of some kind? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I uh, did see that yesterday. Uh, definitely not something I was expecting to win. Um, but just very honored that, you know, that people would vote for me and uh, want me to win, I guess. Um, and working, kind of planning through in my mind what I'm going to do except speech-wise because I want, I want it to be something worth, worth people's time for sure. I'm sure it will be. It'll be uh, something to look forward to for sure coming up as uh, you won that in the landslide. And then is it true that Dan Dockich is uh, planning on doing a show from your house coming up this week? Yeah. Yeah, tomorrow we are, we are planning to go live from from uh, from my living room from 12 to 3 on uh, the local ESPN station here in Indianapolis, which is 1070 for those who are unaware in any Indianapolis area. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm sure we can stream as well online and tune into that. Uh, Absolutely, if you want. Yeah. yeah, so I'll definitely be tuning in to uh, hear you on Dockage's show and on uh, Pardon My Take and anywhere else you, you pop up here going forward. And, and you know, as you continue, the, continue this fight, your work to raise money for cancer research has been tireless. Even before your story really blew up, you were encouraging people to donate. So where should people donate and, and where should people go if they want to stand beside you in this battle, as I'm sure we all do. Yeah, absolutely. So if people go to my Twitter profile, there's a, there's a Google short link in my bio, um, and that will take you directly to, to my, I have a personal uh, donation page with Riley Jones Hospital, which is where I have received treatment the last four years of my life, and they, they uh, serve thousands of children every year, and um, I wouldn't definitely not be able to have the ability to, talk to you here today. I would not be alive here talking to you today without some of the amazing research that they've done. And 100% 100 proceeds from 
uh, that are donated through that link go towards their research center and go towards saving kids' lives. So. Right. They do some pretty incredible stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely encourage everyone to check that out on your freshly minted, verified Twitter profile. You got that blue check mark as well <laughs> these past few days. So just another uh, another <laughs> another accolade for you. That's it's well deserved. Um, so Tyler, kind of in conclusion here, your story has meant a lot to so many people. You know, including me. I'm thankful that it's been amplified the way it has, and, and that your story has been able to be told in this fashion. And, and if it's possible. Just to kind of put into words to summarize, since it's meant so much to, you know, your audience and everyone who's behind you, can you put into words what it's meant to you just these last few days and uh, how Purdue has won and, you know, everyone's kind of come together behind your cause? Um, you know, I don't think so. I think it's um, – that's something I've kind of been thinking on and, you know, I've kind of been asked a couple times. Um, I, I just don't think there are – the prop, I don't think there are proper words in the English language to describe kind of just the encouragement and love I felt and received the, over the weekend, uh, just from, from the nation, um, kind of just embracing my story and, uh, giving, giving my story a listening ear and kind of just seeing all the funds, uh, roll in through my donation. Paige on Riley has, uh, just brought tears to my eyes several times. Uh, just because I'm just so incredibly thankful for everything people have done for me. All right, Tyler. Well, there haven't been many dry eyes following your story, that's for sure. It, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, once again, I really appreciate the time. I want to thank you for handling all this with strength and grace. You know, you're a hero, man, and, and just want to encourage you to keep up the fight because we're all behind you. Well, yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, huge shout out once again to Tyler for joining me. Really appreciate him taking the time and you know showing the strength to talk to me and, and continue the fight against a terrible disease that you know unfortunately is put him in this position that he's in now. But he's handling it as, as well as anyone possibly could, and, and you know I have the utmost respect and admiration for him. And, and I know I speak for everyone at BTN when I say they do as well. All right, we'll move on now to our next guest in this episode of the Take 10 Podcast. It is Pete Thamel of Yahoo. Pete's a national college football and basketball reporter, and he joined us to break down some Big Ten storylines and some national storylines as well. We'll get right into it. It's Take 10 Podcast discussion with Yahoo's Pete Thamel, and he's in studio right now. Very pleased to be joined by a national college football reporter for Yahoo Sports, also a contributor on BTN's Big Ten Football and Beyond program here. It's Pete Thamel, and you can follow him on Twitter at Pete Thamel. Pete, how's it going, man? Alex, my first time in uh, Big Ten Network Studios. What a day. It's, yep. been, it's been a lot of fun. Other than having to hang out with DiNardo, it's been great. Yeah, man, we're putting you through the ringer here, you know, getting you on the podcast, getting you on the TV. How do you like the studio, first off? It's, been, it's, really, it's really awesome. So the, the joke we, uh, we had on air is it's really cold in the actual studio where we tape Beyond today, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's just been fun to see how everything works behind the scenes a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's really, it's really cool. Everyone's been uh, really friendly, and, like, what a great news week, right? I mean, a huge upset in the in the league michigan storms ahead and you know stakes their claim you know at, at a possible playoff berth and uh you know i'm a red sox fan so i'm kind of excited about the world series yeah i'm a big cubs fan so we don't have to talk about baseball right now <laughs> but uh i wish you guys good luck you know you guys are kind of the uh 
the Cubs before the Cubs, and uh, you know Theo, I, I have that that brother. Love some well. Theo, absolutely. Love some Theo. Well, welcome, and uh, like you said, it was a very lively week weekend in college football. Probably uh, just reflecting the the most fun I had watching football probably this year, maybe since I started working here. And I, I usually ask uh, my national reporter guests for some initial impressions of the weekend to kind of highlight some of the top stories. Um, but I think no question this weekend. The big story was out of West Lafayette and, and Purdue's upset over Ohio State. So I'm going to gear my question around on that uh, game and, and just ask you for some of your bigger takeaways from Purdue's upset of Ohio State. There's so much out of that night I think we could take away, but I want to get your thoughts. Well, I think the biggest takeaway from that game, like the thing we'll remember about that game 10 years from now is Tyler Trent. And uh, I know you had him on the on, on this episode of the podcast, and it's an honor for me to be on the same podcast as him. What a, what a remarkable story of Will, and what a credit to Purdue and to Jeff Brom and to David Blau for bringing him in the way they did and lifting him up at a time of such vulnerability and allowing themselves to be inspired by his, uh, by his story and seeing the value they could bring to him at this point in his life I was just completely touched by that like damn Tom Rinaldi always makes us cry you know and uh, you know it was just uh, ESPN handled that story deftly with with a really with a really masterful touch and uh, that's going to be the you know indelible takeaway from that historic upset it was surreal to see you mentioned Tom Rinaldi kind of getting everyone's waterworks going in the morning and seeing the prediction play out like it did from Tyler's perspective because yeah. you know he says it right there Saturday morning then Saturday night Rinaldi all of a sudden is going from Pullman Washington to West Lafayette he's interviewing Tyler kind of the follow up and it's just really a, a you know a perfect fairytale ending to that game and a uh, uh, great way to close the loop on Tyler's prediction um, so you know we could talk about that all day and we talked in depth with Tyler earlier in this episode but I definitely want to get your thoughts on the game as well and what that outcome means for Purdue because you know Purdue is kind of in this place where they announced their arrival in year one under Jeff Brom, they, they made a bowl game, won a bowl game. Then they bring in a guy like Rondale Moore to kind of disrupt the recruiting uh, process and cycle and announce their presence there. I think Rondale Moore is still running for touchdowns. Yeah, seriously. He's, he's, <laughs> like, he's I don't been, think he's, he's like... He's our personal highlight reel. Like, we've probably got more views yeah, off him. He's my favorite player in college football. I mean, just what an electric, exciting... You sit up in your chair every time Rondale Moore touches the ball. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in, in credit to Jeff Brom, who I have a, a play-calling crush on, just watching him exploit the weaknesses in Ohio State's defense and moving the ball and the creativity that he showed, it was a master class in play calling and uh look ohio state had some vulnerabilities it's not like they were beating people like tua and alabama are beating people like they look vulnerable against minnesota they look vulnerable against indiana they should have lost at penn state you know by all conceivable metrics and uh you know they just in in tcu which turned out to be a pretty mediocre team tcu had them on the ropes and uh you know look nick bosa arguably the most talented player in college football is out it's a huge loss but there have been some holes in that Ohio State defense that they just haven't really been able to fill, especially at the safety spot opposite Jordan Fuller. They just really haven't found an answer there. They haven't tackled well. Their linebacking unit hasn't been productive. Uh, and Jeff Brown knew all that and in exposed it in resplendent fashion. Yeah, and I kind of mentioned, you know, the achievements leading up to this game for Purdue under Jeff Brown, and now they've checked that box getting the signature win yeah. uh, under, under Brown. So now where do you see the trajectory of that program now that they've kind of checked all the boxes of being a program on the rise. 
Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting. The West is wide open, and it, it's going to get a little clunky down the end. I don't think anyone's running away with the West, right? I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a slog, and I think it's pretty even. Iowa looks great. You can never count out Wisconsin, even though they've obviously not – they're not what we thought they were to, to start the season. Northwestern's in the driver's seat, right? Uh, sitting there, I think, 4-1 and one in the league. Is that – Yep, 4-1. Four four, they got Wisconsin this weekend. Yeah, 4-1 so. and one in the league with a, with a huge home game, and – I think they're twelve and one in their last thirteen league games. Uh, it has not been pretty at times. Uh, I think you could actually start for tailback for them right now, Alex. Uh, that they've had so many injuries and issues there. Uh, but give Fat Fitzgerald credit. Give Clayton Thorson credit. Give that uh, kind of lunch pail defense credit. They've they've made them relevant. But like. Purdue has the the power of momentum behind him and the power of belief behind him, and they have the power of Jeff Brom calling plays. Yeah, and you mentioned your crush on Jeff Brom, uh, and you, you stopped in to, to see him, right? Just I did. I did. We had, a, had a nice visit. I saw the 04 Honda Accord and uh, enjoyed it. it. He told me it just went over 100,000 miles. He doesn't go very far in it. So you think about it, the car is almost 15 years old. That's not a lot of miles. So. You don't got to go very far in West Lafayette, though. You know? yeah. Point A to point B. Is he said he lives about a half mile from the office. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, what struck me about him is like he's almost defiantly regular. Uh, his family goes on vacations based around roller coasters. He eats Chipotle often. He drinks Diet Coke with ice. Like, he is... Uh, He's endearingly unsophisticated, and I don't mean that as, as an insult. He's kind of a guy. He and I uh, have a bond. I, I go to the Kentucky Derby every year. Um, he's from he's from Louisville, so we talk horses. Uh, and you know what? He, he's, uh, he's, he's really a captivating character, and he's certainly going to be, as this coaching carousel heats up, one of the central characters um, in the next six weeks in college football. Yeah, and he's been obviously a great addition to this league, and Purdue obviously want to hang on to him as long as they can. Um, Moving on from the winners of that game to looking a little deeper at, at the losers, and that's uh, kind of the outlook of, for Ohio State now that, you know, at a program like that, the goal is always to win the Big Ten and make the college football playoff. How much are those hopes damaged now? I mean, a one-loss Ohio State team, you think most years, has a pretty good shot at getting the college football playoff. So, obviously, you got to root for Alabama to win out. Right now, if you're Ohio State, you just – worry about you know the next uh game on the schedule taking care of business before you even think about any of that stuff mathematically ohio state's fine Mm -hmm. realistically they're not fine they're not that good they are not an elite level team defensively there are too many issues i just think they've hemorrhaged so much talent to the nfl out of that secondary that it's finally caught up to them continuity yes it's it's you know you get these five stars who churn through and churn through and then you miss once or twice you can really find yourself at a deficit of both experience and then sometimes talent and so i really think that's what we've seen and again they lost the best player in the country like that's a huge i mean he was a disruptive touchdown scoring game changing force for them early uh, talking about Nick Bosa. So that's obviously going to be a huge loss. And then what he did, he allowed Chase Young to run free. Draymond Jones had less attention. So it, it, all that stuff is kinetic defensively. Um, there's so much paid attention. Linebackers could make plays easier. They could probably rush less, blitz, you know, blitz less because they'd get pressure just from the front four. So uh, all that said, I think Ohio State can come back. I don't think they will. I just don't quite think they're there personnel-wise. Yeah, and we've seen these blowouts before with Ohio State where they kind of fall apart but there were uncharacteristic yeah. dumb penalties there was uh, inability to cap- well, there were two that uh, capitalize in the red yeah. zone and the, the, the one on the punt and then the late hit 
I mean, those those are those are game killing penalties. Right. Game killing penalties because they th- there was plenty of windows in the second or third quarter where they could have come back into that game. And you, you're watching that game and you're doing the math. Okay, well they're gonna have this many possessions left. Like you're waiting for that comeback. And one of the reasons it didn't come was because they turned a, a punt into a touchdown. Yep. Um, and then there was there was the later one where where there was a late hit, and you just you can't do that on the road against what now we're seeing is a very good Purdue team. Right. So we'll turn our attention now to the other headline game this past weekend in the Big Ten. That was Michigan. It's a win over Michigan State. You called. Uh, I was watching you on our show. You called Michigan's win the biggest one since Jim Harbaugh got there. Uh, why do you believe that? Well, I believe that because in the past when they've been at these crossroads where they really have to prove it, the kids call it nut-cutting time these days. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can say that on a Big Ten podcast, but it's, you know, when, when the chips have had to be on the table, they haven't come through under Harbaugh, and they did. And quite frankly, they invited them and kept them in the game probably longer. Um, I think Joel Klatt said it on the show, like, Michigan should have won by more. And uh, they handed they handed Michigan State the ball uh, deep in their own territory, gave up that touchdown, which was essentially like a defensive touchdown practically um, when it came down to it. But the thing that struck me out of that game and the reason why the, – the, the stat that's defined Michigan's turnaround from last year to this year is that they went from being in the, in the 100s, in the teens, in third down conversion percentage to now they're in the top 15. Mm-hmm. I mean it's been a huge – and it might be top 20 because they might have slipped a little bit. But it's just been a gigantic overhaul. And I really thought you saw it a few times with Shea Patterson, like the difference he's made. He can obviously throw the ball better than any quarterback Harbaugh's had there, even Ruddock. And, but I thought his gift to this game and really what showed like the difference in how they've been able to turn it third down percentage wise is the, the and it's easier for me to show this than than to actually describe it. But he he is they call it ball handling and quarterback in terms of at the very last second he's been able to pull the ball on a read option and go run and get two yards. And his ability to do that with his feet and his deft ball handling is just another element of them being able to convert third downs and keep the chains moving and keep going. I wish we had that on video because then you could have displayed the perfect. You know, yeah, no, I really had it nice here too. The, the world will <laughs> the world will, for it. the world will be lost. I'm going to be uh, the smart football guys better watch their back. <laughs> All right, uh, before we look ahead briefly to next weekend, just want to touch on uh, a little bit outside the Big Ten because a lot of. Big Ten fans were either captivated by the Purdue outcome or all the stuff swirling it around the Michigan-Michigan State game. So what did Big Ten fans maybe miss nationally this past weekend if they didn't look outside the conference? The party on the Palouse. Yeah. Um, Washington State looked like a lot of fun there for game day. It looked like it looked like a 12-hour nightclub thumping celebration. Uh, and look, Washington State's really good. Uh, their one bad targeting call at USC away from being undefeated in the thick of the title race. Uh, the Pirate is a genius, and he reminds us again and again that it's one of those programs. It's like brand recognition-wise. They're never recognized in the preseason. But, I mean, Gardner Minshew was at East Carolina, and he was flat mediocre. Like as as a quarterback, there. Had you ever heard of him before the season started? No. He's the second leading passer in the nation. I, I think Dwayne Haskins passed him because he threw the ball six hundred forty two times yep. uh, in the uh, in, in the loss to Purdue the other night. But I really feel like that was sort of one of the uh, one of the standout moments of the weekend for me was seeing that community in Eastern Washington that fired up for a game. And Oregon looked completely rattled. They couldn't even snap the ball. They couldn't run pre snap. I mean, they were a flat mess and the environment and the electricity caused that all right so since this is coming out on thursday we need to at least look ahead a little bit to the upcoming weekend 
And I want to get your thoughts on Iowa because mm-hmm. Iowa's a team that uh, only has one loss to Wisconsin. It was a narrow loss. And they face Penn State in what's probably the best Big Ten game this weekend. So are you taking Iowa seriously yet as a uh, contender in this conference, or do they have to beat Penn State first? I am on the bandwagon. I am on the Iowa bandwagon. I think they beat Penn State this weekend. I feel like they have a definitive advantage on both lines in that game, and they're going to be able to control the tempo. They're going to be able to control the game with their run game and really their run defense, which I believe is second in the country right now. I think they jumped over Michigan State. Uh, I, I just feel like that Penn State program is a little bit stymied right now, and they're a little bit vulnerable, and I think Iowa's going to be able to take advantage of them. All right, Pete. Nationally, I want to uh, get your national perspective on this. Um, if the college football playoff rankings were released tonight instead of a week from yesterday, like they're going to be, who would be your top four? Um, put me on the spot. Yeah, I know. I can I can list mine if you want first. Put, put me on the spot. Yeah. Um, Alabama, 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 and Alabama. Right to start. Uh, I don't see Clemson losing, so they're gonna they're gonna be the second team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to put Notre Dame in, right? As right. long as long as they're undefeated, and that Michigan win looks better and better every week. And I think your fourth team has to be Michigan right now. Michigan over LSU. Oh yeah, I would take Michigan over LSU. All right, right now. I I've just have slotted LSU to lose to Alabama too. So you can feel free to LSU fans can feel free to mock me later and uh, clip this podcast and put it put it on Twitter. I'm sure LSU fans are a huge contingent on that tune in every week. So, yes, you know, I got a big fan. Yes, you're big in Baton Rouge. Rouge. Exactly. Yes. So Michigan though is a bona fide national contender for you. I think so, right? I mean, they have one very good loss in a very close game mm-hmm. on the road, right? To an undefeated team. Yes. And they, uh, look, they've they've performed since then, and they have that huge thumper showcase game to end the regular season in Columbus. And if, if they can win that game, I think they're going to be favored by like seven points in that game right now. So if, if they can, if they, and look, I give Ohio State every chance. Obviously, Dave just said it on the show, Urban Meyer's 51-4 and four in league games. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's a pretty good record. Like. Not bad. It's hard to bet against Urban Meyer, especially at home. But I just feel like right now, the way things are trending, you have to give Michigan the edge there. All right, so before we wrap up, uh, looking ahead at the national landscape, I want to get a couple of games that you'll be watching this weekend. Uh, with no, no Bama, no LSU as they get ready for their clash a week from Saturday, and no Michigan-Ohio State in the Big Ten. So, you know, there's some freedom there to, to flip around if you're a fan of some of the top teams in the country. Which games will we be watching this weekend on the uh, national stage? Well, I'm going to attend Miami at Boston College, in nice. part because I live in Boston. So I'm excited to see A.J. Dillon come back. Uh, he was obviously the ACC preseason player of the year. He's just a mauler of a running back. If uh, if fans haven't seen him, they would have seen him play at Purdue, I guess, uh, earlier in the year. And he actually wasn't very good in that game. Uh, I'm excited to see if on a cold night in Boston, the Hurricanes can come out. It's supposed to be 37. Uh, will crisp. Na- yes, yes. Uh, and, quite frankly, there won't be a lot of environment at BC because the World Series is that night. And Bostonians, as we know, are going to pick baseball over college football. So you're making almost, the sacrifices as a Red Sox fan time. to cover that. You know, it's a job, right? Yep. Like, it's a job. So you got to uh, you got to do it. That's not saying I won't have a little TV up on my screen, uh, you know. 2018, long. you know. Yeah, screen. Fox Sports Go. Uh, or uh, Yeah, it would be Fox Sports yep. Go, wouldn't it? So you're, you're, A little plug for our partner there. Yeah, Big Ten partner. No, I'm, I'm all about the synergy here, Alex. All so. right, Pete, well, I uh, appreciate the time. Yeah. Uh, good having you here. Come back and visit us. And... Um, We'll see how it plays out this weekend and the rest of the way. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I definitely was not as good as Tyler Trent. No, that's. Uh, yeah. I don't think anyone will that's, be. That's so, a runaway. Yeah, Tyler. Uh, Tyler wins this podcast and all future ones. So, Pete, thanks again. Hey, thank you, Alex. All right, thanks once again to Pete for joining me. Wrap up the Take Ten podcast. 
this episode, we will kick it over to our stat hit segment with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. We always do. Harold dives behind the numbers, gives us some really in-depth insight into what's going on in Big Ten football, and look ahead to the upcoming week in the conference as well. So without further ado, toss it over to our BTN researcher in-house stat head, Harold Shelton. All right, very pleased to be joined once again in the BTN studio by in-house researcher, resident stat head, Harold Shelton for our stat head segment. H, how's it going? Uh, as the calendar, you know, keeps turning and the leaves keep changing colors, how are you feeling this afternoon? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, happy to get to week nine. It's a little bit lighter week with three teams off and Nebraska playing at FCS, so the uh, the plate isn't as full. Yeah, home stretch, but we got plenty to talk about from this previous weekend and a couple of good games to look forward to coming up. But we'll start with the major story of the weekend, kind of the, you know, captivating story for many reasons and that's the upset that Purdue pulled over on Ohio State they won 49-20 it was a beat down in every definition of the word and my question for you as a resident stat head is how did Purdue do it, do it? how did they pull it off and uh, why was Ohio State so flat uh, so I wasn't surprised that Purdue won I thought they had a good shot to win I was absolutely shocked that they won by 29 and looked as dominant as they did uh what Purdue does well, Ohio State does poorly, and that's have huge plays. You know, Purdue, I think, is second in the country in 40-yard plays, and we've seen Ohio State give up big plays to every single team they've played. So that part wasn't surprising. I was surprised that the Ohio State, de- oh, I say Ohio State offense only had 20 points, that they got to the red zone five times, didn't get one touchdown. So I was definitely surprised at that. Uh, but I thought Purdue was just very aggressive on offense and defense. They just put a lot of pressure on you with the way Jeff Brom calls plays, the way Nick Holt dials up defenses, sends blitzers from different areas. Uh, you know, they all, you know, run to the ball, very aggressive. Um, I was very impressed. Yeah, and I think the unsung hero, you kind of touched on it there, is Purdue's defense, especially in the red zone. They locked down when Ohio State was threatening, and, and a lot of those potential scores – could have turned the momentum in that game for sure. So I think that's a huge reason why Purdue was able to hold on and then kind of break Ohio State in the third and fourth quarter. So how about Purdue on the other side of the ball kind of being a juggernaut now? You know, they started 0-3. Uh, offense didn't look great. They didn't have the quarterback situation figured out. And then now they're firing all cylinders. So how has this offense woken up, coming to life in the last month or so? Yeah, I think once they finally settled on a quarterback, everything else kind of fell into place. Um, you know, they were kind of doing the the carousel or the, the musical chairs with Sindelar and Blau. You know, similar to last year, they couldn't really figure out a guy. And even last year, once Blau got hurt and Sindelar was the guy, they played really well, won the bowl game. And similar this year, when Sindelar went down and Blau was just the guy, didn't have to worry about looking over his shoulder, they've been able to take off. So I think Jeff Brom is the best play caller in the conference, and I don't think it's close. Um, I think you could see that with the way guys are just wide open all over the place, the running lanes that are available for DJ Knox. I mean, this offense is humming, you know, 40 in three straight games, uh, complete dominated, complete domination over Nebraska, Illinois, BC, and Ohio State during this win streak. I mean, they are a dangerous team. It doesn't surprise me at all that they're functioning so much better with a, a quarterback in place because quarterback, especially his position, 
that I don't think it's usually very beneficial to be yanked in and out or you know even if you have predetermined series that you're going to play like the extra pressure might be put on knowing that you're going to come out next series so I don't know if that factored into the psychology of, of what uh, Blau and Sindelar were going through but just my opinion I think a lot uh, more it's had to serve right it's had to serve him really well and, and Blau playing out of his mind certainly has helped that cause so Look at the other side of uh, that result and look at Ohio State, who was you know coming into this weekend the favorite to probably win the Big Ten and, and the favorite out of the Big Ten to make the college football playoff. Now that's all kind of been put in the back seat for now. You know, Ohio State's got to get off the mat, recover from this a little bit. And we saw this trend kind of continue of uh, the last few three seasons under Urban Meyer. There's been at least one of these blowout losses. We saw it against Clemson in the playoff uh, in 2016. We saw it against Iowa last season and then now to Purdue. So what is it about this Ohio State team in the last few years, this program? Is it a fluke that, that they kind of uh, melt and when the when it goes bad, it all seems to go bad? Or is this a trend that you can kind of identify and point to some reasons why it might be happening? Um, I think part of it could be that, you know, at Ohio State, it's more of a, you know, we want to get you to, to the NFL um, again, I'm just speculating here, but I'm wondering if not having guys that are there for four or five years and are all about the Ohio State culture and just wanting to do what's best for the school, if that gets lost with guys who are basically there for three years that are just there because they have to be there in order to the, get to the NFL. You know, guys that might be just trying to get theirs. Um, I, I think that might have something to do with it. I mean, I'm you know thinking back to when Tressel was there, and it was all about Ohio State over anything else. You didn't really see too many of these, um, especially not in conference play, especially not against uh, unranked teams. You know, there was the the title games against Florida and LSU when things got out of hand, but that was more because the other team had more talent, not because they didn't come to play. So the fact that you can give up a 55 to an Iowa team that lost. You know, five or six games last year. The fact that you can give up 49 to a three-loss team, you know, it just kind of shows that they don't really have the leaders on that side of the ball, especially on defense. Yeah, and the path to Indy for Ohio State is still in front of them. Uh, the Michigan game still looms large. How about their path to the college football playoff? Because coming in, they were the number two team. I'm sure they would have been top two or three in that uh, set of rankings going to debut next week here. So, do you think there's a path still viable for a one-loss Ohio State team that obviously would most likely have to win the rest of their games to even be considered? I think there's a path there. I definitely don't think it's as clear as it was. Obviously, um, a, a big issue also is their schedule. You know, we thought TCU is a good win. Now they already have four losses. Great, yeah. You know, Penn State's already got two losses, and they still have Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin to play. They might pick up one or two more. You know, they'll play Michigan State later. They already have three. So a lot of these wins that you thought were good wins or t- tough games that you had later in the season don't look as tough. So in addition to having a 29-point loss to an unranked team, Outside of Michigan and maybe the Big Ten champion, if you get a one-loss Iowa, you're just not going to have a lot on the resume. So you're going to need help. You're going to need Notre the Dame. Big 12. I'd say I'd say the Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, you need both of them to get a, a second loss. Because mm-hmm. even if Notre Dame's undefeated and Clemson's undefeated, you can still get by 
if the Big 12 is out, if the Pac-12 is out, and you need Alabama to run it, right. you got to make sure the winner of the Florida-Georgia game also has two losses. So if Bama wins, if Bama wins out, Notre Dame wins out, and Clemson wins out, there's one spot left, and it's probably between the Big 10 champ and the Big 12 champ. That's what you got to hope for. Right. So a lot still to play out. It'll be something to follow. And it's just one of those things, I think, if, if Ohio State takes care of business down the road, the sting of this one will wear off. And I think it can be excused if we get to that point. But uh, we'll just have to see how how it plays out going forward here. Uh, we'll get to another big game and, and a, another drama-filled game that uh, took place in your alma mater in East Lansing. And the up-and-down season for your Spartans kind of continues here. Uh, really tough blow with Felton Davis being lost for the season due to that Achilles. He kind of knew right when you saw it that it was probably going to be career-ending at Ohio at uh, Michigan State for Felton, which is super unfortunate, obviously. Um, and the Spartans took the L to Michigan in the battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. So Michigan now has is, is kind of emerged as uh, the leader in the Big Ten as far as a a potential college football playoff contender. They, they've leapfrogged Ohio State, certainly, with that, uh, with their twin performances this past weekend. So coming off this victory over Michigan State and seeing where Michigan's at, do their numbers, do their stats back up their case as a top-five team and as a CFP contender? I mean, they're certainly a top-five team on defense. I mean, you could argue that they probably had the best defense in the country. Uh, I mean, the way that that secondary is playing, the way that Chase Winovich is getting to the quarterback, um, and they're doing a lot of this without Rashawn Gary, who is their highest-rated player on the team. Uh, so I think that the defense is lights out. There's no question. Uh, I think the offense does just enough. Um, the fact that they are able to hold their own in the run game and they've been able to run it against Wisconsin. They ran it enough against Michigan State. I think that was more volume in terms of uh, effectiveness. But if you can control the ball for 41 minutes and run it you know, over 50 times, you can eventually just wear a team out. And so the fact that their defense gets their opponent off the field and they're able to hold the ball enough to just wear you down over time so the fourth quarter they're just you know, blowing you off the ball, you know, that – That'll certainly be enough against everybody. Uh, Michigan State's probably the best run defense they're going to play the rest of the way. So I'll be curious to see when they play in Columbus if that same formula will work. Just as a alum and someone who's closer to those programs than I am, I just want to get your perspective on the uh, shenanigans that took place before the game and the comments afterwards by the head coaches and, uh, of course, if people listening don't know there was a almost a pregame scuffle before the game and uh Devin Bush on Michigan stomped on Michigan State's logo after the Spartan walk kind of clashed with their pregame warm-ups and then the coaches sniped at each other post-game Harbaugh and D'Antonio so what's your take on the whole thing I you know it's kind of entertainment for me on the outside looking in um but I, I know some people have stronger feelings than others about this type of stuff I thought it was still interesting that they were still talking about it off of what happened on Saturday. And, you know, it was still brought up to D'Antonio at his presser on Tuesday. The, the fact that this was still going on is amazing to me. Um, I thought everything could have been avoided if Bush and Lawrence Marshall just kind of did what Khalid Hudson did. You could tell Khalid Hudson wasn't thrilled that the team was walking out while they were there 
but you can see him clearly turn sideways. The Michigan State players unlock their arms until they got by him and locked back in. Bush and Marshall definitely didn't do that. They were, it looked to me like they were there to start it up. Now, you could argue Michigan State was late. There's the he said, he said on both sides there. Um, I thought Devin Bush stepping on the logo, you know, was a little extra. Uh, the fact that Harbaugh said he didn't see anything wrong with that seems uh, a little short-sighted. But I think both parties were at fault. Um, but it's great for the rivalry. And, you know, it's something that we're going to be showing over and over and over for the next 10 years. Yeah, another chapter, you know, going back to at least in this kind of modern era, of, you know, started with the little brother stuff and the, the stake in the ground and all that that goes into this rivalry. And, you know, it is funny you kind of point out just how – um, you know, Michigan really dug in in their their position, and they you know they have the chip on their shoulder. And I, I uh, just out of entertainment value, I, I appreciated Chase Winovich kind of going full heel uh, after the game. Not only did he give like the post game uh, comments to Fox with with uh, just you know, and if you if ever talked Chase Winovich, he's just a guy that like he's endearing uh, to like and from my point of view because. He'll just start talking, and nothing comes off as menacing. But he talked like he talks, and then the the statement was menacing. But coming from him, I'm just like, I can't take this totally seriously. And then he went on Twitter and and did the Conor McGregor and said, "I'd like to apologize for absolutely nothing." So, you know, just from an observer, I, I thought the whole thing was uh, entertaining at the very least. And uh, like you said, we'll be talking about it enough in the future so we can move on from it now. Um, let's look ahead to the upcoming weekend now, Week Nine in the Big Ten, and, and we'll keep it with your Spartans because they got an intriguing matchup against uh, the Purdue Boilermakers and you know seeing all the success Purdue's had lately and never know what you're going to get with Michigan State now their offense is kind of depleted what are you looking for out of uh, that matchup coming up this weekend I'm looking to see who's going to be starting for Michigan State at quarterback I mean after the game you know, it was said that Brian Lewerke didn't practice all week leading up to the game. He injured his shoulder against Penn State. Um, I mean, he he was kind of struggling with accuracy before that, but seeing him go five for twenty-five and misfiring badly on a lot of those throws made you think something was up. I think Jim Harbaugh even alluded that he might be playing with a torn labrum, just kind of the way some of the throws were coming out of his hand. Um, if that is the case, you know, as a fan of, and a supporter of the school, I would like to see Lewerke rest and they go with Rocky Lombardi um, because there's just no need to throw an injured quarterback out there, uh, especially when you have all the injuries to begin with. Um, during that Michigan game, you couldn't, like Lewerke didn't take off at all. There were no design runs for him. There were no option plays with him, probably trying to, you know, save that shoulder. So the fact that their O-line's already banged up as it is and they're already without receivers as it is to not use his legs as a weapon kind of has your hands tied behind your back even more. So at least if you put the young guy in, he can run. I'd like to be able to see what he can do uh, with you know the reps all week and actual game experience. Yeah, and for Purdue, it's a big opportunity to, to get one step closer to eligibility. Coming into the season, their schedule – if I'm not mistaken, was was pretty uh, pretty tough, and starting on three, those bowl aspirations really kind of faded for a while. Now they're right in front of them, and, and obviously this game uh, looks winnable at this point. Absolutely. Just how Purdue's playing for, um, at this point in the season. I know you want to talk 
Big Ten West, um, pretty in depth here before we sign off. And there's a couple games that will have some big Big Ten West implications, and we can start with Wisconsin's matchup at Northwestern. Northwestern quietly has been sitting in first place in the Big Ten West for a couple weeks now. And um, this game could determine, you know, who represents, or at least go a long way in determining who represents the Big Ten West and Indy. So, first of all, can you kind of lay out the scenarios? Uh, what do we mean if each team won? And it, it, let me know if Northwestern is a threat to a team like Wisconsin because Northwestern almost beat Michigan, but then they barely squeaked by Rutgers. I can't really figure them out either. So uh, let's hear some scenarios and then maybe some breakdowns of the matchup coming up between those two teams. Yeah, I'd say Northwestern's probably the most unpredictable team in the Big Ten. Um, they were kind of fortunate to beat Rutgers last week, and we know how much Rutgers has struggled. And it was interesting to see them actually win by running the ball, which is something that they've had issues with all year, mm-hmm. even when Jeremy Larkin was healthy. Uh, Clayton Thorson might have had the worst game he's had in three or four years, and they were still able to win. I don't expect them to have two bad games in a row. The question is, can they stop Wisconsin from running the ball? Um, they Wisconsin kind of similar to Ohio State-Purdue, like when they go to Purdue. Wisconsin's had some issues in Evanston. They've lost four of the last five at Ryan Field. Um, you know, Wisconsin's only had three losses in this East-West format against West Division teams. Mm-hmm. Two of them have come against Northwestern, so I wouldn't count the Wildcats out. I think they're still pretty flawed. I don't know if they can actually win the division um, and just you know keep it up after this game. But I mean, they've already beaten Purdue. You know, if they hold on against Wisconsin here, you've only got the Iowa game left in terms of the contenders on mm-hmm. the schedule. I mean, they'd be in really good shape. All right, any other Western matchups you want to talk about before we get into what's probably the marquee matchup of the weekend in the Big Ten, Iowa-Penn State? Is there anything that stands out? This week we'll know a lot about the West just in terms of going to November. you got four teams all tied with one loss in the loss column. Uh, Northwestern technically is ahead because they play one more conference game than everybody else with the, the opener at Purdue uh, to start the season. But – no, obviously Northwestern and Wisconsin play each other. Purdue's at Michigan State, and obviously we got the big one with Iowa uh, at Penn State. Wisconsin and Northwestern are the only teams right now that control their own destiny. You know, Iowa's kind of behind the eight ball with the loss to Wisconsin. Purdue's behind the eight ball with their loss to Northwestern, so they both need help. But Purdue hosts Wisconsin and Iowa in November. So if they can get through this one, you know, everybody's kind of counting them out. Like, oh, they have Ohio State, they Mm -hmm. have Michigan State. The crossovers are too tough. If you win both of those, that home schedule down the stretch, like with the way that offense is playing and the way Nick Holtz got those guys playing on defense, they get through this week. Don't be surprised if, you know, they just go down the road a few miles and play in Indianapolis. That'd be insane. And like we touched on it earlier, for a while it was looking like a bull berth is in doubt. Now, like you said, the trip to India is not out of the question. So we'll have to keep a close eye on the boilers and, uh, you know, that – well-deserved spotlight has shined brightest on them this week, and uh, it's been an exciting team to follow for sure. Uh, let's close it out with a little discussion uh, about that Iowa-Penn State game. Iowa almost beat them last year at Kinnick, came down to that last play. And, um, you know, it's the defense of Iowa has always kind of been held up this year, but their offense has really come around lately. And we know Penn State's got a solid offense. So where do uh, these teams, I guess, meet? Is, is the offense – still uh i guess 
the edge there with Penn State, or is Iowa's defense enough to kind of neutralize that? Yeah, I'm going to go the other way. I think Ohio State's offense against Penn State's defense is what I'm going to look for. Iowa's offense? I think they have the mismatch against anybody who they play mm-hmm. because of both of those tight ends. Beast. I mean, I don't know how you guard both of them. I mean, Hawkinson might actually be better than Noah Fant, which is crazy because Noah Fant will Came be a first round. Yeah, right. he'll be a first round pick. Yeah. Like you know, multiple outlets have said that he could be the top tight end in the country. But I think Hawkinson might actually be better than him and more athletic. But I'll be curious to see if those Penn State linebackers and safeties can match up. If Stanley plays like he's been playing recently, I think that they have a pretty good chance of winning. Now, Penn State, on the other hand, their offense is pretty much all trace, run game-wise and throwing the ball. I mean, Miles Sanders has been fine, but Trace has kind of been the leading rusher in terms of carries and yards, mm-hmm. you know, over these last three or four games. Iowa's run D, second best in the country. If they can limit that run game, can Trace make enough throws to, you know, take advantage of a young Iowa secondary? I'm not quite sure. That front four will probably be the second best Penn State's played it, maybe even tied with Ohio State. So I'll be curious to see if Trace can make those throws. His accuracy has been a little shaky this year. Yeah, and I didn't really watch much of Iowa and Maryland, but just the the, the way the score played out, it looked like Iowa did not really reveal too much as uh, no. they head toward this matchup with Penn State. They kind of went vanilla, did what they had to do, smothered the Terps, and um, yeah, it should be a, a fun Matchup coming up here. Uh, a little bit of a, a lighter weekend with the the big dogs is Ohio State and Michigan, and are both on their buys. But I'm sure it'll be a fun weekend regardless. We got a Friday night matchup coming up, which we'll have to keep an eye on, and uh, should be another fun weekend. And hoops coming up. I keep saying it each week, and it keeps getting closer and closer. We're less than two we'll, weeks out now. We'll be talking hoops soon. Yes, sir. All right, man. Until next time. Uh, always fun, and take care until then. All right, sounds good, man. All right, thanks once again to Harold, Pete, and Tyler for joining me. Really great discussions uh, this week on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed talking to all these guys, and, and once again, was blown away by Tyler's resolve. And, um, you know, really, in my opinion, it's one of the greatest sports stories ever told. And uh, I've been you know, honored to be a spectator in, in his fight. So, Tyler, big shout out to you, my man. Pete, Harold, once again, thank you. I want to thank my producer, Wes White, who is back from paternity leave. So shout out to Wes, his uh, baby boy. Ben is doing well. He brought him in recently, but Wes is back and doing some of these uh, podcast production responsibilities again. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Colleen Degnan, another assistant producer. And thank you to everyone for listening. So keep it locked. Make sure you subscribe, and we'll talk to you next time here on the Take 10 Podcast.